Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Joining me today is Will Scarlett, founder and director of Scarlett Land and Development, which is a niche property consultancy based here in the capital. Morning, Will. Good morning. Now, look, I'm sure many people are aware of Build to Rent, but for those that aren't, can you briefly inform listeners on Build to Rent and how it differs from other tenures? Uh, thanks, Gillian, and um, very nice to, to be here. Um, so it, it's a really important um, difference. Um, and perhaps not widely understood by policymakers. Um, so, build to rent, or BTR as it's sometimes known, is typically institutionally funded accommodation. Um, that means it's professionally managed, um, it's very community focused, it can be multi tenure, um, it's immunity rich, um, it's characterised by um, um, in, in an urban situation by larger communities of, of flats or in a suburban um, situation of um, larger groups of, of houses. Um, typically net zero, um, no fossil fuels, um, all electric, um, low running costs. Um, so the defining feature is it's, it's large scale and it's institutionally in, uh, funded. The PRS, um, the private rental sector, on the other hand, is typically um, owned by individual landlords, um, managed individually, um, often, but not always, um, often older stock, um, so perhaps not professionally managed, um, and in the current times it's, it's almost exclusively flats, um, not houses, the, the housing um, PRS hasn't, hasn't really got going yet, certainly not in Scotland. Um, so, so they are very different, um, uh, and, and, and that really needs to be, to be understood. Okay, so who are the main institutional investors in Scotland, and, and what are the benefits of an institutional landlord? So typically, um, the, the, the clues in the name, institutional investors, um, typically pension funds, um, and you know, often household names, LNG, MNG, Aberdeen, um, are the institutional funds um, that are funding large-scale um, build-to-rent uh, schemes across the UK. Um, in Scotland, um, as I think we'll come on to, um, there are very few. It's, a, um, it's, it's, it's in its infancy. Um, there are some banks, um, HSBC, Lloyds, um, um, also um, funding across the UK again in Scotland, it's, it's in its infancy. Okay, so how many completed developments are there then in Scotland and, and how does this compare to the rest of the UK? So in, in Scotland, um, believe it or not, there are only seven operating schemes, um, roughly 1,500 apartments. Um, those are all apartments, not uh, not houses, um, so the suburban built to rent hasn't really got going yet. Um, in Manchester alone, there are over 8,000 operating built to rent apartments, and in the UK, there are about 79, 80,000 units operating. 
So that figure for Scotland again, 1,500 units, you know, it is tiny, it is in its infancy. Um, and um, you know we've got a, we've got a lot of catching up to do. Mm -hmm. So obviously Scotland is is clearly lagging behind the rest of the UK. So what challenges does the build to rent movement in Scotland face then? So build to rent. Um, well, first of all, build to rent UK wide faces um, you know a number of challenges actually just now. Um, build costs, um, cost of debt. Um, are really impacting the, the viability of these larger schemes, um, but deals are ongoing um, in um, in England um, despite uh, those challenges. Um, and you know, new deals, new funds, new fundings, new investment are being reported in the press on an almost daily basis in England. In Scotland, we have all of those challenges: build costs, cost of debt, um, viability challenges. Um, but we also have. Um, Perhaps the biggest challenge of them all, which is a politically imposed um, 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 a barrier um, through rent control, um, which um, you know I think we'll come on to. But um, mm -hmm. um, you know that is purely a challenge of our own making, um, and um, it is um, it's it's causing built to rent um, to, to pause in Scotland just now, um, despite the, um, the very compelling um, fundamentals in, uh, particularly in Edinburgh, Glasgow, um, investors desperately want to be here, um, but they are not currently here. Well, in what ways can built-to-rent planning policy assist with viability, you know, so that investors continue to invest in Scotland rather than England? And are there any differences in policies between our cities that mean, you know, one may be more viable than the other? So um, it's not so much planning policy that's the that's the issue. Um, planning policy is, you know, is is not the reason that investors um, would currently rather invest in England than, than Scotland. Um, as, as I've mentioned, as, as I think we'll come on to, it's mm -hmm. it's it's political interference in the in the capital markets in Scotland, which is the the real problem. Um, in terms of differences, since you've asked about planning policy, um, there are some differences actually, um, so just putting aside the politics, um, there are some differences particularly between um, Edinburgh and Glasgow. So in Edinburgh, um, any residential or built-to-rent investment um, requires 25% affordable housing. Um, now that is a handicap on viability for investors looking at Edinburgh versus Glasgow. Um, the strength of the rental values in Edinburgh um, largely makes up for that. But I remember um, five five years ago, um, Edinburgh Council, when when BTR built to rent was just getting going, and there were some investors up here, some funds, some pension funds up here wanting to invest. Um, <clears throat> Edinburgh Council, um, to their credit, um, put a group of us, a big group of us, in a room. And they held a series of workshops, facilitated workshops, to float up the, um, you know, the, the, the challenges. You know, what are the issues? What are the challenges? What would encourage you to to invest in um, in, in in Edinburgh in, in this case? And the, the the issue that kept surfacing from most of the groups um, was the handicap of affordable housing, twenty five percent affordable housing. Um, and so, and to their credit, they took that away, they addressed it, and they've come up with um, a, 
specific policy for um, affordable housing in Edinburgh. So in build-to-rent schemes, yes, it's still 25% affordable housing, but unlike a residential scheme where you need to effectively carve off that 25% and hand it over to a registered social landlord, so that's a big drag on the appraisal. For build-to-rent schemes, they have permitted the 25% to be pepper-potted within the scheme, to be controlled by the institutional investor, um, and they've allowed a, a, a local housing um, rental um, uh, value. It's, it's called BRMA 30th percentile, but it's a, it's a slightly more favourable set of rents. So that has yeah, that has helped. That's offset some of the some of the concerns. So it, it can be done. I think there's a I think there's a lesson there for um, for Scottish government in terms of consulting with the industry. Well, last October, the Scottish government announced emergency legislation to protect tenants during the cost of living crisis, and they introduced a rent freeze, which is um, which now stands at a cap of three percent for the private rent sector, which is the PRS as it's known. So. What do you think stakeholders found most alarming for built to rent regarding the announcement? So, um, yes, the, the elephant in the room, um, the cost of living brackets, tenant protection, close brackets, Act of October 2022. Um, well, what alarmed the, the, the market, the institutional investors, um, perhaps more than the rent freeze or rent control itself was the way they went about it. Um, what's really spooked them is the fact that there was no consultation, um, there was no data. Um, where did you know, well, the 3% the that they've moved it to, where did that figure come from? Um, uh, and that's really spooked them. So I know it's under emergency legislation and that um, you know, time should pass, and, and that should uh, that should go. That should be retracted. But the the, the you know the, the worry is this knee jerk reaction without consultation, and it will take time to rebuild trust with institutional investors, um, and that needs to be done through consultation um, and um, and through the the emerging housing bill. What immediate effects did it have on built rent developments and and ones in the pipeline? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the immediate effect is that um, pretty much all uh, build-to-rent uh, investment in Scotland stopped overnight. Um, and, you know, I was involved um, in a number of deals at different stages, but one in particular, we'd spent a year negotiating it, um, you know, a, a, a 30 million investment from a household name pension fund. Um, we had investment committee approval, which is that's the, the big hurdle. Um, we were close to signing missives. The announcement was made in um, October 22, and within a week, the pension fund had pulled out of the deal, and they have not returned. That is typical of a number of deals um, across uh, the, the, the market in Scotland. Um, in terms of the pipeline, I mean, I, I sort of blithely use a figure of 10,000 units are in the pipeline, and 10,000 figures have, have been 10,000 units have been suspended. Um, you know, the, you know the, the actual figures. You know, there are 5,000 approved, which are on hold. There are 2,500 in planning, which are on hold. So that's 7,500. Um, but you know, if you add in Lord Willie Hawkey, you know he had 
you know, he'd announced a billion uh, investment into 11,000 affordable housing. So he's um, he specifically cited rent control plus build costs as a reason for not going ahead with that. Um, Get Living have announced that they're selling their Glasgow scheme or they're, they're appraising their Glasgow scheme as to whether they actually go ahead with it. Um, so that's on pause, that's 1,500. You know, Sigma, well documented, saying that they've stopped investment in Scotland. Um, so add those up, that's 20,000 homes that have not been delivered. And that's just the ones we know about. Mm -hmm. um, there are umpteen decisions we don't know about taken in boardrooms out with Scotland yeah. to invest in Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Bristol, and not in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I mean, the legislation was brought in to assist tenants during the cost of living crisis. And as you mentioned, the majority of built rent has, has been put on hold as a result, which is ironic considering many, you know, many think built rent solves much of the cost of living's biggest issues. And, and also built rent aligns with current Scottish government housing goals. So can you explain about this in more detail? Well, ironic is, you know, is the right term for it. Um, Patrick Harvey's paper, um, which is called A New Deal for Tenants, sets out Scottish Government's aims and goals for provision of housing in Scotland. And, um, you know, it's, it is, it's a new deal for tenants, but it's, it's a particularly bad deal for tenants. Um, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read you um, and your listeners um, a list of attributes for housing and um, you tell me if you think this list was published by the Scottish Government or by an institutional landlord. So they want housing with the following attributes. Improved quality, support tenants, housing choice, community empowerment, tenancy voice, good quality, net zero aim, affordable options, security of tenure, availability of services and accessibility. Now, I think we would all agree that those are good, aspirational um, targets, aims, goals. We all want those for housing. That list was published by Scottish Government, but it mirrors exactly what institutional landlords are trying to achieve. And if Scottish Government sat in a room with one of the pension funds that I've mentioned, um, I think they would have an awful lot of common ground. Mm -hmm. well, what other ramifications will the pause in built rent supply have on Scottish housing? And do you feel ultimately this will impact on a tenants, you know, in the Scottish PRS? So the impact, I mean, there's, 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 there's a number of um, unintended consequences, um, but the, the most obvious um, direct consequence as well documented um, is you reduce supply you increase demand, rents go up. Um, City Let's own Q1 2023 figures, which were published just about half an hour before I sat in this chair, um, are showing Edinburgh two beds up 16.4% year on year. And Glasgow, I think, was from memory 14.4% year on year. Scotland, um, in your own words, double digit in all sectors, just about year on year, and you know that, that's unprecedented. And that, that is—it's no coincidence that that no. spike in rents has happened since rent control was introduced. Um, as far as the, the PRS is concerned, so the, the individual landlords that you mentioned, um, 
which is not a sector I'm so much involved with, but it's well documented that um, a number of landlords are coming out of the market. The, the moratorium on, on evictions worries them. Um, they have their own costs um, in terms of mortgages and maintenance. Um, maybe they're able to um, carry out less maintenance. Um, the effect will be tenants are living in older stock, which is um, of poorer quality perhaps, um, less insulated, higher running costs, um, less supply. It's, it's, it's not a pretty picture. So what evidence are you aware of, Bob, um, are intended consequences of rent controls you know, in cities around the world? You know, what are you aware of? So I mean, it's, it's well documented um, in, um, uh, to, say, to name a few, Dublin, um, uh, Denmark, Sweden, and in a number of North American cities. Um, there's a number of different um, versions of, of rent control in place. Um, with, you know, every city is different and, and every scheme, um, you know, there's, there's no um, consistency between them. So it's, it's, it's difficult to draw conclusions, but there is one conclusion which um, pretty much every study um, agrees on, and, and that is that any form of rent control chokes supply by restraining investment. Um, you know, capital is fluid. It does not need to be in any city. It does not need to be in Scotland. It can very easily be in, um, in England or in other European um, uh, cities. Um, so check supply, that's the number one. Um, decreases investment in maintenance, you know, mm -hmm. I've touched on that just now. Um, an unintended consequence is that, um, particularly in the PRS, um, homes or apartments can become underutilized, by which, by which I mean, once you're, once you're in rent control, um, as a tenant, you're very reluctant to release your apartment back to the market because you don't want to give up the lower than market rent level. Um, and in, um, I think in Sweden in particular, I read an article about the, the black market that's developed in subletting. Um, in subletting. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's pretty obvious. Um, so you create this two-tier market between mm -hmm. sitting tenants, um, which are subject to a rent control and, and new leases, which are, which are not. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it's it's not particularly uh, something we want to encourage. I think what we've discussed here highlights the importance of politicians understanding the fundamental difference of built to rent when creating legislation for private residential letting as a whole. What would be your recommendations to ensure that institutional investors continue investing in built to rent in Scotland? Yeah, well, um, you know, we are where we are, um, and, you know, we've created this problem, or our politicians have created this problem. Um, we need to um, claw our way back into the trust of the institutional investors, um, and the only way to do that, well, they could reverse the legislation, we go back to um, uh, no interference in capital markets, but. Uh, you know, I think perhaps a good portion of this is ideologically driven, so I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but if we are to, if the Scottish Government um, is determined to stick with rent control and if it is to become enshrined in a housing bill, which Patrick Harvey tells us is his intention after the summer recess, then it is absolutely essential that consultation with the industry 
is undertaken, and I, and I mean you know proper consultation, not token consultation. And it's imperative that a a, a, differ, a differential is 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 understood between build to rent and the PRS. Um, yes, find a way of controlling road road landlords, but 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 don't kill the golden goose, which is funding mixed tenure, large scale um, housing in in Scotland at a time when you know government probably can't afford to be doing it, and don't use a sledgehammer to to crack the nut. Um, and so there's a, you know, there's a big role there for, um, you know, in particular for the Scottish Property Federation um, in, in, in my world and obviously um, in the PRS there are um, other organisations who I know have sat here and been interviewed by yourself, but SPF are, are um, in my view, are sort of fronting the, um, the, the, the voice of the institutional investor industry. Um, but we, we do need to repair the damage, um, and we do need to, you know, quickly. We need to um, we need to encourage investors back to Scotland. So we've talked about the emergency legislation. Uh, where do you see the opportunities for institutional investors? Well, uh, there's a there's a huge opportunity, um, which, if anything, has been exacerbated by the. Um, rent control legislation because it's cut supply. Um, so, I mean, as highlighted in your own City Let's Q1 2023 data, rental growth in particularly Edinburgh Glasgow year on year, um, Edinburgh two beds up 16.4%, um, and Glasgow two beds, I think, up 14.4%, you know, unprecedented. Um, so, for those with schemes, um, coming out of the ground, and there's, there's very few of them. You know, LNG have got one, Platform have got one, um, Platform have got two. Um, you know, they absolutely see the opportunity and, um, you know, they're slightly relishing the, um, the, the prospects of this rental, of this rental growth. Um, LNG's Salasta Riverside in Glasgow, um, which recently um, completed and, and is now fully let, um, was the fastest uh, let up of any BTR scheme um, in the UK that they've ever had. Um, now, just to sort of make a point, institutional investors don't want 15% rental growth year on year. Um, they want well, they, they do, but they don't. But no, actually, they don't. They want um, slow, steady, long-term growth. Um, they're not looking to knock the lights out. They want sticky tenants. They want tenants that stay in the um, in the properties for um, for the long term. Um, slow, steady, long term. Um, but you know, th there is a huge opportunity, um, and you know, we're seeing a number of funds, you know, now that six months have passed, um, the rent control, it is emergency legislation, it will only last um, for a certain amount of time, whether that's um, September this year or March next year remains to be seen, um, but it will pass um, and there will be a new housing bill and um, whether there's, um, you know, there is likely to be some form of rent control enshrined in that housing bill, but as long as it demonstrates a um, transparent, um, long-term um, um, uh, strategy for uh, rental growth, um, then institutional investors will return. Um, so we're beginning to see them 
think along those lines. And I think the, the few, the, the early movers, um, uh, I think stand to benefit enormously from the opportunity to um, get involved with um, some of these bigger schemes, to fund some of these bigger schemes um, before the entire market returns, which I'm confident it will be. Okay. Well, listen, over and above built terrain, Scarlet Land and Development are also involved in purpose-built student accommodation, PBSE, and um, residential land. So do you want to tell us um, about your current projects in these areas that you're involved with? Uh, yeah, uh, happy to. Um, so the PBSA, purpose-built student accommodation, um, has been taken out of rent control for now, um, and, you know, let's hope it stays out. Um, uh, because there is a desperate shortage for student accommodation, as well documented um, at a university. You know, open letters to the press saying, don't come to the university unless you've got accommodation lined up. So um, a, a desperate need for, for PBSA. And partly because it's been suspended from rent control, um, you know, there is um, significant investment into the PBSA just now um, in, in Scotland as there is across the UK. Um, we are, yeah, we're involved in, um, well, we're, we're, we're forward funding a, um, a large scheme, uh, we are looking for forward funding, um, a large scheme, the, the former Time Castle High School in Edinburgh, 467 beds. Um, we've got a couple of sites on the market in sort of super prime locations. Uh, we've got a couple in planning, we've got one just consented, we've got one under offer. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots happening in PBSA. Um, in Glasgow, we're, um, we're doing a big site, well, we've done a big site acquisition um, um, on the Clyde, and we're, we're doing a back-to-back -back for about 800 PBSA beds. Um, in Dundee, we're selling a site for, with 300 beds. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, I'm not alone. There are a lot of people doing a, a lot of work in the PBSA sector. Um, Resi land, so um, you know, mostly houses. Um, we're in the west. We're selling a 300-unit unit site for University of West Paisley. Um, in the east, we're selling um, again a 300-unit site in, in Edmonston, um, jointly with Savills. Um, and we're like others. We're, we're sort of um, Working closely on suburban build to rent, which um, you know, which I think will become the sort of will be the next big thing should rent control get sorted out. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I joined build to rent. The build to rent model, you know, encourages walking and cycling, um, mm. and it has often, you know, it's enhanced facilities for both, including bike storage. Now, you're just on a kind of lighter note. You're a keen cyclist, I believe. Uh. Um, road cycling but also I think you've recently got into gravel biking so for those that, that don't know what exactly is gravel biking because it's not it doesn't just um, it's not just gravel terrain is it well um, so I'm still working that out myself um, <laughs> is the honest answer um, but I've, I've you know, been on a road bike for many years um, and there does seem to be a move to get off the roads and away from the traffic and um, avoid the potholes and so mm. I, I did recently. Um, and do you uh, find actually these, um, you know the bike lanes have also got the, the bollards yeah. to, get, to keep um, mm. cars, but how is that actually for cyclists? Because I've heard it actually just forces them into all potholes and drains yeah, and, and it's not actually, it, it, it's beneficial for cyclists. It, it's, um, 
it's 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 not it's not ideal. All the grit and grime um, and the road sweepers can't um, can't get to them, so the, the, the grit and grime builds up. So you, you find a lot of cyclists actually just avoid them, which um, is unfortunate. But um, no gravel biking. I've, I've got high hopes for gravel biking, um, and you know it's between a road bike and a mountain bike, and the idea is get off the roads, um, get into the countryside. Um, the challenge um, that I'm finding is is, is finding um, you know there's, there's not a yeah, there's not a great book of um, or online of, of, of sort of plotted routes. So I think it'll take time to sort of plot the routes. Very easy on a road bike to plot a route, but um, I was up in Ascent up in the northwest a couple of weeks ago and took the gravel bike. Um, looked on the map, thought that would look that would be a good route, and I ended up carrying my bike half the way. So, <laughs> um, so I've got I've got a bit to um, a bit to learn, but. Um, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the plan. Okay, so any kind of future plans for participating in any events? Are there events for kind of gravel bikes? Uh, well, uh, as it happens, um, <laughs> and this is possibly why I bought the bike, so this weekend I'm, I'm down in the Kielder Forest um, doing a, um, it's, it's termed a gravel bike event, which is a, a first for me, but I've got a friend who's done it before. Um, and um, well, I'm, I'm doing 120 kilometres, I think. Oof. Others are doing 200, but I'll be bailing out after 120. So, so how long would that roughly take you through I, this type of... I actually trip. don't know, honestly. <laughs> we'll wait to I, hear. I, I'm not quite sure what to expect. <laughs> Two days later. So. Yeah, I'm probably not. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, well, listen, good luck. Thank, and, you. Um, thank you very much for coming in. It's been really interesting. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk.